This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Hello and welcome to Plato's Cave, a RRR film criticism show and podcast. In the cave tonight, we've got Stuart Richards. Emma Whispered. And hello. 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 How are hello. you both? I'm good. And I'm We're Sally good. Christie. I'm hello. Welcome, welcome back. back. I'm back after about a month away from the cave and it's nice to be back. Fantastic fest, beyond fest. She's been festing. I've been festing. I've been at Camp John Waters. I've been all over the place. But Pretty exciting. Now I'm back in Melbourne and it's Can we nice talk about here. that for the next hour? Camp John Waters? Yeah. I think that would be good. Mink stole. What, what stays, what happens at Camp John Waters stays there? <laughs> <laughs> so on tonight's show, we will be discussing One Small Step for Man, One Giant Leap for Mankind in the Neil Armstrong biopic, First Man. We'll also explore Palestinian customs and father and son relationships in Wajib. But first off, we are going to take a trip back to 1969 with Bad Times at the Al Royale. So this is from writer-director Drew Goddard. It's his second feature film. And his first feature film being the highly acclaimed The Cabin in the Woods, which was very much a love letter to the horror genre. Bad Times at the Al Royale shifts genres and is his love letter to film noir. And it features an impressive cast, including Jeff Bridges... John Hamm, Dakota Johnson, and Chris Hemsworth's Pex. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the Al Royale. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. I was like it was scripted just for hush, them. Hush, hush. <laughs> I just need to do that. <laughs> so the Al Royale is a rundown hotel that sits on the border between California and Nevada. It soon becomes a seedy battleground when seven strangers, a cleric, soul singer, a travelling salesman, two sisters... The manager and the mysterious Billy Lee converge on a fateful night for one last shot at redemption before everything goes wrong. Stewie, I know that you were excited about this one. What did you think of it? I was so excited for this film because, yeah, Cabin in the Woods is a fantastic film. It, it is. is so <laughs> smart, what it does with the genre. And I really love Drew Goddard's work. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has also uh, written for Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Lost. And you can really see... A lot of those narrative devices here in. Um, uh, what did he do for The Martian? Did he write it? Yeah, he wrote. He, he wrote The Martian. Yeah, he wrote for The Martian yeah. as well. Mm. Uh, so the yeah, what I really loved is the way he deals with characters and expectations, where we get all of these very different players that have this facade, and we make expectations and. Um, uh, around those characters but then as it goes on we'll get flashbacks to their sort of what they've been doing previously and then our uh, sort of feelings of those characters start to shift and we learn more about them and what their motivations are and I mean that is classic lost right mm-hmm. there where we get all of these strangers on the beach and you're like all right that's that character that's that character that's the good guy that's um so, you know the little princess and then uh we get all these backstories and then all of a sudden they start to shift um, and I really started to see that happening in this film. Uh, it is so beautifully shot. All of the use, the use of colour. Stunning, isn't it? The, the mm. neon constantly um, in the background and lighting up their faces. It's such a theatrical And there's film. that um, single tracking shot in it as well, that five-minute one with John Hamm's character when he's walking down that hallway. That's with incredible. With the glass. That was all one single tracking shot, mm. which was so impressive. And um, Cynthia, how do I pronounce her surname? Er- Erevo. Erevo was singing live that, mm. for that thing. Like, that's all 
her live singing, which is pretty impressive. Mm. Yeah, but also, I mean, in that tracking shot where they're all in their individual rooms, mm. uh, it's it's so performed and each of those spaces are so different and they're performing for that window almost. Yep. It's beautiful. It's mm. such a beautiful film. Mm. That's um, That was kind of the standout moment for me, that idea of this secret passageway in this hotel. Mm. Uh, it, it had some sort of, it had an atmosphere to it that was not what I expected of this. From the previews, I think we're sort of in this sort of homogenous preview culture now. Every film seems to look the same in terms of the previews that we see and the way they're cut. And the way this film was presented, I felt it was going to be more of um, by way of Get Shorty, let's say. When Get Shorty came out, it was <laughs> it, it just all of a sudden all these Get Shorties came out after it. And, they're you know, they're funky, they're pithy, they're tight... Um, but they're pretty light, right? And I think this film had an extra depth or malevolence to it, um, which I did really, really like. And that idea of this performance, all of these people performing whether they knew it or not to someone, you know, through a two-way mirror um, and the sounds he created through it, the echoes and everything was really, really interesting. So I kind of had a feeling, I felt that it was kind of uh, um, more by way, I actually felt Tarantino influences in there, but also in those particular scenes, Hitchcock, it had a very Hitchcock yeah, feel to it. Definitely. Um, but I do like films that create this sort of inanimate character, uh, whether it's a city or in this case a hotel. Hotels are great places or houses. Point of technicality, it's a motel. It's a motel, Be- okay. Because you can enter the rooms from the outside. When you oh. enter the rooms from the inside space, it's a hotel. I didn't know that. I know. That's a good point. Mind blown. I know. So it should technically be mad bad times at the El Royale Motel. Motel. I even lived in a motel, so I'm trailer oh, really? trash. <laughs> no, I <laughs> totally lived in a motel for five years. That's a whole other story. But... Um, uh, this, yeah, this kind of setup. I mean, it was incredibly stylized. Um, Dakota uh, Johnson was presented as the hippie, and she was the most um, glamorous hippie <laughs> I kind of ever seen. <laughs> yeah. um, but it was, and I think th- Sally, you're going to talk about this. I think, but um, the length of the film. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to talk of about this tonight. This, this for me. Look, I felt I, I understood where it was going and especially when it brought Chris Hemsworth in and he was wonderful. Like I loved his I loved his thing. No, I did. As the mm, Billy Lee. I yeah, I not as charming as what he could have been, I don't think. Don't you think? Yeah, like after I mean, obviously yes, washboard abs. Love that. Oh, but once <laughs> once that spectacle is kinda done. I was like, something more. I did, I, that's it. I just felt like it was his chest performing. <laughs> that's it. There's really, there was kind of nothing else there because he's supposed mm. to be this charismatic, charismatic, you know, guy. Charles Manson esque mm. figure. I felt that. I well, got that from it. it. Was set in '69, which is the mm. same year that the Manson killings happened. It was so that's no, no doubt riffing on it. <laughs> yeah, it well, which is something I really loved about this film, mm. where it's hinting at all of these historical, contextual. There were massive. That's one thing Absolutely. that I but it's really never, I love that, it. but there was never giving definite answers. Mm. Like this is 
Kennedy we're talking about here or this is the Charles Manson killings that are happening. See, I, that made me kind of... I felt that he had gone, oh, gee, we really want everybody to know what time period we're in, so we're going to throw every kind of massive thing that happened in that time period into this film. Um, I felt that that made it lose an edge for me. It mm. felt like he was trying to be a little bit too cool with it. But, yeah. I, I liked... I th- thought it worked... Only because it was heavily stylized. Yep. So I think we we enter it in an unreality, let's say. I mean, it's so beautiful. It is a beautiful film. Oh, it was stunning film. to look at. You know what movie it reminded me of? The Tales from the Crypt Demon Night. You know the one with Billy Zane? When they're all stuck <laughs> in the hotel? Like, it really reminded me of that. That's what I was thinking of the whole time. The, the hotel played a really strong character role yeah. in the film, though, which I thought, uh, you know, worked really well. That's always a, an interesting, you know, device to to bring into a narrative, and especially in this case where it was all around this state divide. Like, half of the hotel was in Nevada, half of the hotel was in California, and they kind of made a, a point around that. I that that didn't really go anywhere with it. It kind of set up to be this kind of huge driving point for the film and it was maybe mentioned in the first 10 minutes and then that was it. I just you know? liked the setup. It was great. It was, <laughs> and I did like it. I thought, yeah, beautifully. It was a beautifully was shot enough. film. It looked amazing. But, yeah, my huge gripe with this and with lots of films lately is the runtime of it was way too long. Yeah. I, I, no, I feel that that is undermining audiences intelligence a lot because we're going into these films where we're just constantly explaining every little thing to an audience where it's like we we get that we know you don't have to go back and tell us every little thing about you know what's happened to this character in their past we can put those pieces together i i think Mm. that with this film just looking at it and i was thinking about it i i was with it and then there was moments where i i stepped out i think once the it was a sort of a film in two halves um the way that it did the setup and it, it did do backstories, but I thought its backstories were pretty tight. Mm-hmm. It didn't labour too long on the details and it, it, it allowed you to, well, I felt, bring in your own details with it. But I think it got kind of carried away in the, um, uh, with the Chris Hemsworth, the Billy Lee character in the second half and mm-hmm. it wanted to really play. You could see he was trying to do something like um, the Leo DiCaprio scene in... Basketball um, Diaries. In Basketball yeah. Diaries? Yeah. Did you I was going to say Django Unchained. No, no, there was yeah. that... Ba- there was, I thought of Basketball Diaries when I was watching it. The, there was that um, scene that was in the field where they're running through... All those colourful flowers, that which was yeah, yeah. But yeah. Anyway, I got well, the wrong Leo film. No, I was <laughs> I was completely at the other end of his career and thinking more that it was that just that build up holding with a character and he didn't want to let go. He kind of got enamoured with this character, mm-hmm. but he'd already created another film at the start. And then had another film tacked onto it almost. And I get what he was doing and I get where he was becoming, he was literally becoming enamoured. Enamoured, that's the word. (laughs) Enamoured as a filmmaker um, with what he was um, presenting, but it was too too much. And there was a sentimental vein through there with one of the characters who wanted to repent for his sins, let's say, which was just dragged out to the nth degree and wasn't very interesting. I thought the payoff on that was like, eh. Yeah, and that could have been... I think could have shaved 15 minutes of the mm-hmm. film. Oh, really. definitely. But when the Chris Hemsworth narrative kicks into gear, 
the use of the space changes where it's almost oh, like, absolutely where it's almost totally different yeah it's almost like an agatha christie tale where we've got this ensemble of characters and it's piecing together where they all are in relation to each other and this sort of heavy emphasis on cause and effect like this happens and then that causes that to happen and but this character was there when that was happening and i love that because it's like a chess piece in this hotel mm, mm, and mm. you're starting to navigate this space where they all it are was in two relation. films in one yeah but it then was two films in one. yeah but then when chris hemsworth comes in that use of the space that really smart use of the space completely gets lost mm. which sally i think you're right where the california and the nevada divide gets lost yeah it does and, it, and it's not used it could have been a really interesting key point and it's made out to be that it is going to be an interesting key point in the film and yet it really just dissolves mm. and they lose the, they completely lose the pacing there is um with a, and i don't think this wrecks it there is a fire in this um in this film and the fire seems to take so freaking long to burn it actually is very noticeably unrealistic because <laughs> like, well, there was one point where the fire is slightly in the background i was like that's an un- interesting mantelpiece yeah. oh, it's <laughs> fire. i was like oh no the, the place is on fire oh, okay it's just taking ages this entire scene for this fire to actually kick into gear just that exact moment when they want to leave the room mm. well i mean the one thing that i was slightly disappointed by this film and i did must say i did love it was Cabin in the Woods ends with such, like, a visceral kick in the <laughs> I hated the end of Cabin in the Woods. No. I hated it. But, I, but <laughs> it's such an interesting and heavy ending to that yeah, film. It is. And you want yeah. more from it. You want more from that world that gets revealed at the end of Cabin in the Woods. But this film, I was like, wrap it up. Like, yep. stop this repenting. Wrap it up. I'm mm-hmm. done. This mm. does not need to be going for two, two, uh, almost two and a half hours. It was, it was long. It yeah. was too long. I find also whenever John Hamm is in a film and he's sort of in that similar era as Don Draper in The Mad, Mad Man, Man, but yeah, he's maybe. not acting like Mad, uh, like Don Draper. It's really confusing for me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I miss disappointing. You, Don. <laughs> I was just like, oh, I don't. My brain doesn't connect the dots. But um, yeah. So no, it, it was. I, I did enjoy, um, I was going to call it the Battle at El Royale, but bad times at the El Royale. <laughs> the score is also good. I do want to mention oh, Michael. the music was phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. So Michael Giacchino, um, he also composed for Lost, Star Trek, Inside Out, Super 8. So the score is pretty incredible for this film. Um, yeah. Not only the score, but there's just a, um, a roll call of 60s music through this mm. film. and Through um, Cynthia Erivo, who is incredible in this. Oh, yes. Yeah, her vocals a, are amazing. Yeah. Which is pretty tough to do because this ensemble cast as you mentioned, Sally, is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And they all gel together so well, but Cynthia Erivo completely steals the show in this I think film. she does too. I think yeah. that she was the major standout of this film. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and she that scene where what we've been talking about, where the camera where the track tracking along the secret corridor where she is actually not just singing one song, but she keeps on moving into the next song, into mm. the next song, um, is really quite spectacular and really terrifying. There's something yeah, that's very uh, eerie, v- incredibly eerie. Mm. Um, yeah, oh, look, there's a lot that I, I agree with you. There's a lot to like about this, but um, yeah, I think that this this is a perfect example of a, a filmmaker needing to be divorced from his material. Mm. Um, Someone saying, come on, you've got to let go a little bit here. Mm -hmm. Kill your darlings. Kill your darlings, exactly. Get a good script editor. Exactly. Well, Bad Times at the El Royale is screening now at cinemas all over Victoria. 
You are listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3 Triple R FM in Melbourne, Australia. Our next film that we're going to be looking at is First Man. So La La Land director Damien Chazelle and star Ryan Gosling reteam for something completely different. So First Man is the story of uh, NASA's mission to land Man on the Moon. Hang on, I'm just having some technical issues here. We're swapping mics. Okay. <laughs> um, to land Man on the Moon, focusing on Neil Armstrong and the years 1961 to 1969. A visceral and intimate account told from Armstrong's perspective, based on the book by James R. Henson. The film explores the triumphs and the cost on Armstrong, his family, his colleagues, and the nation itself of one of the most dangerous missions in history. So, Emma, what did you think of First Man? Hmm. Well, I'm going to come clean and say that I'm a big fan of Damien Chazelle. So I'll put that right up front. When I first saw Whiplash, that was the film that blew me away for that year and that was his debut film. And I'm a big fan of La La Land as well. I think he's a very, very educated filmmaker. He knows he knows cinema not just in the way of how to make cinema but he knows cinema history and you can see the way he brings that into his films he's really young isn't he he is yeah yeah he's mm, very he's very young or something yeah yeah Mm. quite quite incredible so the it's interesting that you mentioned perspective in your intro to this because i think this film is all about perspective I am not a fan of biopics. I've never been a big fan of biopics, Um, although... um, And mainly because of the perspective of biopics. I think that a lot of people will come into them and see them as um, uh, documentaries, shall we say, and take them as truths. So the the kind of biopics... and, And I don't think that filmmakers should be shackled by truth in their filmmaking, especially when they're not making a documentary. So, um... Something that uh, plays with the concept of truth or plays with the concept of perspective is what interests me. So Mm -hmm. something in terms of the biopics, I think that last week, Stewie, you, you guys talked about American Animals. We did. And how that plays with the idea of truth and perspective. But in with biopics, something like I, Tonya, for example, yep. that um, was another film from this year that looked at, uh, it says... No, that's not the way that happened. And it kind of... Um, Reliable narrator. What is the truth? Um, This works in an entirely different way and it very much works with uh, the biography uh, of um, Neil Armstrong, which which is where it, it uses as its primary source. Now, the thing with Armstrong is he was incredibly, incredibly private. Uh, and I like the way that Damien Chazelle plays up on that in this movie, almost like he recognises as a filmmaker he can't, he needs to get inside his head and he literally, he almost literally does it physically. I don't feel, think I've been, uh, I've witnessed a film that's closer in people's faces than this film in a long time. It's so close. It's almost in their nostrils. It's almost in his... It's like it's trying to get inside his mind because none of us can get inside 
Neil Armstrong's mind. And that's a, that's a really interesting thing about it. None of us really know what he was thinking as a person. He never revealed anything. He was um, celebrated as a man of humility and very little ego. Uh, yet we're talking about a very big event, whatever we think of it. And all of the people in this studio here at this moment were born post um, walking on the moon. So we, we just took it as a, as a given. So it's interesting to watch this and see how it played out as an event, whether we think it's uh, a worthwhile event, whether it should have happened, whatever, whether, you know, the cost of life or the cost, the literal financial cost was worth it. That's all up for debate. But it was a very significant, important event. And the size of it and also, therefore, the size of space and the infinity of space is played out very strongly here in terms of perspective. So we go from a super close into Neil Armstrong's head to this idea of infinity, really. Mm. And I think that was the the way that this film worked so incredibly well. And there was one shot, and it was came kind of later in the film, where it plays on perspective in another way, um, uh, not so much in the human context but inanimate objects where it has this, the, the, the window of the spacecraft and you see the icicles of um, moisture and you, you focus in on that and then it swaps the focus and you see this amazing space out beyond it. And I think that's what this film was about. And this is what I like about Damien Chazelle. He can mm. do that. He does that. He understands narrative so well and he understands film so well and just storytelling in general. What do you think? Of, you've, you've literally just come out of the cinema from seeing this, haven't you, Stewie? <laughs> I did. I've literally just <laughs> grabbed an Uber from the Westgarth Cinema to here. So I'm still processing a lot of it. It's yeah. very... I, I hate mm-hmm. when somebody asks me what I think of a film list just as soon as I walk out of the cinema. It takes me like 24 <laughs> hours same. to form an opinion. I'm yeah. Yeah, Don't ask me, Sally. <laughs> okay, but I am going to. Tell us, Stewie. What do you think? Uh, yeah, so it's... Very, it's a very visceral film. This is this film has the shakiest cam that ever did shake. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? It's yep. constantly moving. Um, ex- I think maybe except that final stunning shot of the moon landscape. Yeah, that's which great. is breathtaking. For me, in because trying to think about this film and what it's about, it is about um, Neil Armstrong is developing this fortitude to man this incredibly dangerous mission and building that mental strength under pressure and developing this really strong sense of character for him. But at the same time, he is a man that is also completely inept and able to engage emotionally with those around him. I mean, the his the, the emotional gap between him mm-hmm. and his wife in this film is so interesting, and how his complete inability to talk in a meaningful way with his sons, I think, is devastating. So this man mm. can be so strong in one regards, but completely emotionally inept in another. And there's when before he goes off for the mission, his son shakes his hand, and I, I, I and I just. And thinking about that, like, it's a mark of respect, but also there's something so cold about that where they can't even hug. Like, his mm. father's going off and he might die and they can't even hug. I mean, that's devastating. Uh, just Sally. to jump in quickly there, I, I found that really interesting about this film too was the way that it explored, I guess, the emotions of men or the lack of emotions of men and how they're taught to 
process something. Mm, um, I think it was very much a yeah. ma- um, maleness of the time, because what the, was expected. The one yeah. thing yeah. that really struck me about this film was that when his son went to shake his hand, that was th- – this film, I didn't like it at all, to be honest. Um it made me want to tear my hair out. I was completely <laughs> bored the whole I've been, time. I've been, waiting, I've been waiting for Sally to come in. I knew she didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of, like, honestly, this and I reckon The Bookshop are my dullest films of the year. Wow. wow. Not that we're getting, well, I haven't done that list yet, but they're definitely both on there. <laughs> the, I didn't realise we were doing that list. Well, in my head I am. Um, but, yeah, that one scene where his son went out to shake his hand. That was the only kind of thing that really hit me. And there were a lot of things in this movie that were super emotional uh, that fell flat with me. And I'm just have... I'll cry in any old movie. But um, this... <laughs> Cargo. This, oh, I cried that whole film. A zombie film <laughs> from start Sally to Sally will cry. <laughs> <laughs> but not this. But, yeah, I, I agree, Stewie. I think that that was a really important bit and it really explored the way that men are taught to not be emotional. Mm. Mm. And Claire Foy is brilliant in this film as Jan or Janet. Um, and... I mean, so much of this film, I mean, we were talking about perspective before, so much of this film sort of goes to great lengths to tell the film from Neil's perspective inside the shuttle. Uh, I mean, when they're on the moon, we don't get any sort of shots from Earth when they're on that mission. Um, And so there's a really kind of heavy emphasis on sort of limited knowledge Mm. on their part. And there's an interesting parallel in that regards with Janet back on Earth, where when all of this is happening, she also has this completely limited perspective where she's shut out from this world and she literally has to barge into the offices and be like, no, I should be able to hear what's going on. Mm. And there's a really interesting sort of parallel happening there between both of them as this is going on. He has his mission and she has to sort of play house and be the perfect yep. wife and, and raise the kids and, uh, and yeah, sort of what, where, where her character goes and there's a confrontation between the two I think is really, really interesting. Mm. The, the thing that this film emphasised a lot um, uh, was, so First Man, w- the idea that the the tinniness of everything that the danger the literal danger that was um that was present in all of these not just the um just the the space missions but the training on the ground and the preparation on the ground and these were all amazing pilots um these guys as well uh and they were all all men we can say they were all men at the time they the the I remember seeing Interstellar and being taken by the fact that they showed um, fingerprints and the grottiness of inside, uh, you know, the the capsule. Whereas previously, and I think it probably comes from a Kubrick 2001, everything's so pristine and the idea of space and, you know, space travel being much more perfect. Um, Whereas this uh, looked as though the space shuttles were... You know, they kind of they were kind of had things spray painted on them. They weren't made for show; they were just made for the travel. And it was, um, uh, it, it, yeah, I, that really struck me. It was like them being in a tin can, and mm. the sounds, the yeah. sounds were. I think this film will definitely get an Academy Award not for sound design. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the sound design was quite captivating, yeah. and that really sold it. He was really hammering home the danger 
of the situation and what it's like. I think that we haven't had anyone who's grown up post or hasn't delved into this story will not have had the sense of the danger. They were basically sitting on a bomb, you know, Mm. that's an explosion and then you, you take off to wherever. Mm. And there were a couple of things uh, about Neil Armstrong in terms of his previous um, space missions where he, and which they show here, where he didn't uh, lose consciousness at a certain time, which because he didn't lose consciousness, so in some ways this gives you an idea of his mental fortitude, he was able to keep himself calm and therefore not hyperventilate, not lose consciousness, and he saved him and his partner's life and brought Mm. them back to Earth. So there were some things, it's not just the space mission, it was everything around it. And this idea that all these people were involved in this space mission and they were traditional families, traditional American families Mm. of the time, and they were just dying one after Mm. the other because of accidents that happened and that was mm. the that was really the nature of it so it's kind of the luck of the draw that you know he really got got through it in the mm. end and managed to come back and be the first man on the moon did anyone pick, i mean i got a real space odyssey vibe in one moment when there's the docking mission and yeah, then yeah. this ship kind of goes into dock with the other thing orbiting i'm not very good at space and uh but then there's a bit of classical music that plays where there's this real intense kind of uh inner space and then there's just that really beautiful moment where a bit of classical music plays i think that's on purpose too this is like damien chazelle knows his film history Mm. he really does and you Mm. see it and this is a thing la la land people whatever you think of it la la land is just Steeped in oh, musical yeah. history and, er- it and it's just incredible, and the, th- the themes that come out through it. And I felt that this was probably more singular in its thematic work, but it did, it was strong. That, like I said, that idea of perspective really mm. was played out in a very in- interesting way. The close, the huge, um, you know, the danger, the normal life. Mm. It's interesting, know, like, with the perspective stuff, how it did... Uh, the one thing that I really wanted explored in this film that I found really interesting was seeing people say, America is wasting money on this, you know, when you know we're homeless, we don't have jobs. Oh, I would have loved to have seen that explored more, but it couldn't be because no. of the way that it was based on his but, perspective. But I liked... Mm. I did like the fact that they still managed to bring a bit of that into there. Yeah. They did acknowledge that it was happening. So they didn't kind of, it wasn't like a whole whitewash of Mm. the situation. But, yeah, I think that as a, there's a tendency for us all watching films to hope that a film can be everything. And And I think, yeah, you've got Mm. to choose the way that you're coming into it as a filmmaker and and stick with it. Otherwise, we're going to have three and a half hour movies all the time. And we know we don't want that. (laughs) Think of Sally. Think of me. Think of Sally. (laughs) First Man is now screening at cinemas all over Victoria. Three. Triple. The next film that we're going to be looking at tonight is Wajib. So writer-director Anne-Marie Jass's multi-award-winning comic drama explores the lives of Palestinians living in Israel. It stars real-life father and son, Mohammed and Salal Bakri, 
The title Wajib translates as duty, and it's duty that brings architect Saadi from Rome back to Nazareth, where his sister is about to be married. So local tradition dictates that Saadi and his divorced dad, Abu Saadi, must drive around town delivering wedding invitations. Friction is in the air even before the two get into Abu Saadi's beaten up old Volvo. Saadi thinks that the exercise is outdated and meaningless, but for his father, it's about maintaining important community rituals. Emma, what did you think of Wajib? Well, it really made me want to go to Nazareth, really. I know, yeah. I think mm. that it was uh, a fantastic postcard for uh, Nazareth. I've got in my notes here Nazareth as the third oh. character. Yeah. <laughs> Very much so. Well, yeah. We were just talking before about uh, bad times at El Royale and how, you know, the, you have cities or hotels or houses as characters. This is very much a city as character. And um, it it works the city in an incredible way. I th- the, the central theme, and we've got lots of themes here, but the central theme um, with the father and son around the, the old, the tradition, tradition, tradition. <laughs> <laughs> and the new is not, you know, the 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 younger person trying to, you know, buck tradition is is, you know, a, a well worn trope in cinema. I think it does it very well here. Um, but what I think that was the most interesting is we sort of we sort of see usually this idea of the Palestinian cause and a number of issues around that Middle Eastern. Um, the Middle Eastern area, it, it, we usually see them in very broad brushstrokes. Um, uh, and this film really managed to get in under the skin of it and just show people and different people because of the, the setup, which worked re- very well, the delivering of the wedding invitations. So they spent a whole day going around and de- delivering wedding invitations to a whole lot of people and every house is very different and every person has a very different relationship with them or they're just very different personalities and, um, and that's really interesting. And it's not that they're wearing... Um, you know, politics on their sleeve and it's really pronounced, but it's just something that bubbles underneath, which is a situation with regards to how um, the Palestinians live with uh, Jewish peoples. And in this case, we're looking at Christian Palestinians as well. And um, and, Chris- and it's at Christmas time. So that's really played up. I love the idea. There was one case where the aunt, they go to an aunt who has Christmas decor, like this crazily Christmas decorated house. Around, yeah. And she says she has it. She's been awarded for her Christmas decorations and she has decorations all year round. And her excuse is it's Nazareth. So she can have them all year round. <laughs> what did you think of it, Stewie? I really enjoyed it. I yeah, think it's really too. good. Um, I should say that um, I had run the half marathon <laughs> earlier just before watching this film. So I ran and then I went and watched this film. So it was a bit of a, bit of a daze. Uh, so I just let it wash over me. Um, and <laughs> It's a nice film to let... It yeah, really yeah, I is. So. Yeah, yeah, there's something really pleasurable about these two characters mm. bickering and then having tender moments. It's a really smart script because mm-hmm. this sort of major conflict is happening in the background. It's constant tension is political tension is constantly there. But it, it kind of it explores how that conflict sort of affects the everyday. So there's a really um 
a sort of interesting moment where they're at the cafe and sort of some armed soldiers come in and it's just about like sort of that's just the everyday now. Mm. Um, and the idea of sort of going from house to house and meeting all of these different characters is a really great way to explore the city and the different types of people that live in that city. But then also I love how the, the father and son talk about the characters before we meet them. Yeah. So they'll be talking about sort of um, a particular aunt who's kooky in some way or uh, someone who they suspect has been gay and then they meet those people and then we meet those people as well. And, and then we, we get can- to form our own opinions. Yep. Yeah, so I think that's a really smart way of actually scru- structuring the script. Mm. Uh, but it's also a way to... Um, for sort of us as outsiders to explore this city as well and getting to know this culture that honestly I don't know a whole lot about. We only, only really know it through sort of the major through news. Through the news. Through the news, <laughs> yeah. which I think makes this a really important film. Mm, mm. Um, yeah, and also a lot of those little kind of kooky things about the city where the sun complains that all of this beautiful old architecture has this kind of tarp. The tarps, yeah. I love that. And he said, because he is, a, the sun is an architect and he's living in Italy. So he's kind of coming in as a as an outsider in some ways. Mm. And uh, he says, you've got this beautiful, like Nazareth is full of beautiful architecture, yet everyone covers it up with um, tarps and plastic furniture. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was, um, I I really, really enjoyed this movie. Um, I thought it was excellent. The way that it brings him in as an outsider after the reason, I guess, why he has left Nazareth is because of his father's doing, essentially. And just there was this deep... I guess, lack of respect that they had for each other's lives and lifestyles and particularly I think the mother is not in the picture anymore. She's alive but not with the father and then there was this sort of, I guess, sadness that we felt for the father and he was a really lonely character. But, yeah, the really complicated relationships between them and I did also think that Nazareth worked just beautifully as a third character in it. it was Amazing stunning. looking mm. place and the, the way she filmed it, you really felt like you were there. Yep. Um, which is a real privilege to be able to do through cinema. Mm-hmm. I think to get that, to really feel like you were there, living there, is something quite clever. I can only assume that it's got a uh, a ring. Well, it feels like it's got a ring of authenticity to me, but I can only assume that it is authentic. I yep. hope so. Uh, uh, she had a very interesting way of not of just um, focusing in on the everyday. If you notice that any time there was a, a sense of heightened action um, or something that would be more of the exciting moment in in any other film. She cut short. Yeah, yeah, she did. Has yeah. anyone seen any of her other work? No, I haven't. I haven't. I thought, yeah, I really love this. I'm really keen to kind of see what else she's done. Yeah, yeah. so this um, – and she didn't really even come back and address what had happened mm. previously, which I thought was a an interesting uh, way of cutting this film and dealing with – action and non-action and it didn't leave me feeling wanting which yeah, was exactly. very clever yeah. yeah and also the casting of um the the two main characters that are actually a real life father and son oh are they yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah wow. i didn't realize that I didn't when realize i was that. watching it and yeah. i thought geez they look alike and then i then i found out that they yeah they wow. are real life father and son which again because that that conflict between them and that chemistry between them was really really authentic and then mm. i guess that's why mm. but yeah mm. so yeah Mm. Yeah, that, that use of elliptical editing, cutting out a lot of story information mm-hmm. is really, really interesting because 
yeah, something really dramatic will happen and then it comes back and we're like, what, what happened, what happened? But you mm. get to pick up on it based on the tension between the father and son. Mm-hmm. Does someone stay in the car and go deliver the letter or... Um, and also the the camera for a lot of the time stays with the car. Yeah. Mm. Which yep. is really smart. So we got first man where that happens where the camera stays with the ship. Even a lot of the the external shots are still with the ship in sort of in mm-hmm. frame. And that happens with this as well where the car is constantly in frame and sort of the car is the anchor for most of the film except when they're inside yeah. the apartments. Mm-hmm. And it was also it does delve it does have this really sort of deep political stuff that's going on in the background. But it doesn't feel like you were saying Emma that it's washed over at all. No. It's just it's there. It's mm-hmm. their everyday lives, but also having that in there it is a really funny movie. I thought there was some bits in this where I just laughed good, out loud. I thought it was really, really good, funny. Really good humour. Mm. It wasn't it wasn't farcical or slapstick. It was really quite subtle. It was everyday humour. Yeah. And it was very it just rung so true. Yeah. I thought the dad yeah. was fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> and I love the way that it didn't, you know, I, I felt that um I agreed or with both characters, it wasn't you know both had a point about everything. I felt I felt sorry for what the son was going through. I felt sorry what the father was yeah. going through, and the father had a pressure on him as well. Being he was kind of a moral guardian because he was a teacher. You know how he yep. everyone was like, "Hi hey, teacher, teacher. Yeah. hi teacher," all the time, and you could see that um, he had this responsibility on his shoulders. Mm-hmm. Uh, yet he was kind of a bit out of date, and you go, "Is he teaching the right thing?" But then he would come up with some jewels where you go, I can see that he's just trying to work with the status quo. He's trying mm. to make the most of what is he's there got, yeah. and to yeah. deal with, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Very surviving difficult. in a way with a sort of a lot of this conflict in the background and working away, working out a way to make it work and to have an effect on his mm-hmm. community around him and for that community to thrive. Yeah. Mm. But also there are, way, there are things he says about the mother figure who's constantly in the background. Mm. It was like, I thought it was interesting, sorry to cut you off there, Stuart, but the way that, say, we've saying how Nazareth plays a big role, but also how the mother played mm. such a huge, huge role in this film and she's not in it. Mm. 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 And how there are ways, so, I mean, she's very, it can be very easy to paint her as this uh, sort of woman that abandoned her family. Mm-hmm. Um, but even, I felt quite sorry for her as well, even though we never meet her at all, with the, sort of the way the father talks about her. Yes. Yeah, I love that because he does this. Um, he he talks about how he's he's reconciled himself mm. to that, but then he when he finds mm. out another piece of information, it's very obvious that he hasn't reconciled. And that himself final to scene, it. the final scene mm. of the yep. two of them, it's great. Mm. Mm. Well, Wajib is currently screening at Cinema Nova and at Lido Cinemas. So <laughs> on tonight's show, we have discussed bad times at the El Royale course first man they're both on general release um we also talked about wajib which is currently screening at cinema nova and lido cinemas so you can subscribe to plato's um cave podcast via itunes wherever else you find your podcasts a huge thank you to faith everard for editing our podcast and carl chapman for paneling the show this has been a podcast from three triple r 102.7 fm in melbourne truly independent community radio want to hear more check out our website at rrr.org.au